turnout here was huge, which suggests that both Republicans and Democrats support access to abortion. Really? Who knew? Who could have guessed it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Well, it is in Kansas. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes. From Pacifica Radio. In Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans, on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. I hope you agree. Uh, Thank you for joining us today, as we often say, fighting like hell for nearly 20 years now to protect what is left of your democracy. And as it turns out, there is still quite a bit left. Yay! Yay, indeed. For now, anyway. Hello, Desi Doyen. For now, I will take it. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Yowza, that was a big primary election night on Tuesday in six states. We will run through what we know and what it all means and what it doesn't mean and may mean and definitely means, as at, at least as it can be understood at this hour on the day after. And uh, I want to note before I forget, Tennessee which really, really must not want its voters to vote at all. They're holding their primary election on Thursday of this week, <laughs> August okay. August 4, on, on Thursday, not even a Tuesday. So, uh, hey, Tennessee, don't let them hide it from you. Get out there and vote. Okay, before we get to Tuesday's noteworthy results, as is the tradition, Before it all gets lost here, a few notes on problems for voters at the polling place on Tuesday. And while we may learn more about problems in the days ahead, as always, the uh, good news for today anyway is that by and large, things appear, at least as of today, to have gone largely smoothly for most voters in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, Washington and Ohio on Tuesday, but not everywhere. 
David Frisk took over as Pinal County, Arizona's election director in March of this year. He arrived from Washington State. He was the third director on the job in the past two years, and he came into office, an office that had just one single staffer left in it. Oh, my. In an office that should have had five full-time employees working there. That's how difficult life has become, I'm afraid to say, for election officials these days. So it was not a complete surprise that things went poorly for Tuesday's elections in an office uh, trying to recover from that kind of turnover, resulting in a major ballot printing problem for mail-in ballots in Pinal, in a state where about 80% have traditionally voted by mail, municipal races for seven counties were entirely missing from more than 60,000 primary ballots that went out in the mail in early July. So this is a problem we already knew about going into Tuesday's uh, primary day. Candidates for those local offices who were left off the ballot. And and by the way, I believe it was entire races. It wasn't just certain candidates, but they just left entire races oh off the ballot for these local offices. Some of those candidates cried foul and some voters in this uh, growing county of about half a million residents southeast of Phoenix had cast their ballots without noticing. So Frisk, the brand new election director, he went to extraordinary efforts to try to get a separate municipal ballot only to those who did not get those races on their original vote by mail ballot. But the problems got still worse for voters on Election Day on Tuesday at about 6 p.m. local time. The Pinal County government announced on Twitter, quote, due to unprecedented demand for in-person ballots, Pinal County has experienced a ballot shortage in certain limited precincts. Pinal County is uh, continuing to print additional ballots and distributing them to each affected uh, precinct polling place. In fact, as ABC 15 reported on Tuesday night, the count of precincts, which had just run pretty much flat out of ballots by the evening rush hour, was at least 20, mm. 20 precincts. Not good, though officials told folks to uh, stay online, to wait for ballots to arrive at the precincts, and if they were online before 7 p.m., they would be allowed to vote. Pinal is a Republican-leaning county outside of Phoenix. Trump won there by about 17 points in 2020. Nonetheless, naturally, the state and national Republican Party, both of which have turned insane, they uh, cried foul, suggesting that Republican voters were somehow being targeted in Pinal. There is, of course, zero evidence of that, at least to my knowledge, but evidence does not seem to matter much anymore to the Republican Party. And True. the fact that uh, that all voters in Pinal were affected by this miscalculation on the part of the new elections director. Well, that's logic. Uh, yeah. And logic doesn't count anymore. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's terrible that, in fact, this affected everyone in any event uh, to date. That is so far the worst problem that I've heard about for voters in the six states which held uh, uh, primaries on Tuesday. And frankly, 
Uh, high enough turnout that ballots running out is also, in one sense, good news. I mean, people turned out in unexpected numbers for what would normally be a low turnout midterm primary election. I'm not trying to make excuses for that election director. But, uh, yeah, turnout was much higher than expected. Why? Well, there was a lot on the ballot this year. So let's start here. It's the biggest story of the night, as I suspect we're now uh, beginning to see glimpses of what I've been trying to suggest on this program over and over again in recent months. When it comes to this November's elections, you should simply forget about conventional wisdom because these are decidedly unconventional times. How many times have I said that? How many times will I continue to say that between now and November? Talking, point, Talking Points Memo's Josh Marshall described what happened in Kansas on Tuesday as, quote, a political earthquake, writing, when a result is this lopsided and this unexpected for most political observers, it's not only a political earthquake, but a sign many political professionals have seriously mistaken the political environment. Yep. I think I've been trying to explain that here for a few months now. Yes, you have. So let's start uh, in Kansas, a state that Donald Trump won in 2020 by almost 15 points. On Tuesday, as I suspect you have heard by now, Kansans were the first in the nation to vote on a statewide abortion rights matter following the corrupt extremist right-wing McConnell Trump Roberts Supreme Court overturning the previously 50-year-old constitutional rights that are enshrined that were enshrined in Roe in the Roe v. Wade decision overturning that ruling this past June the Kansas Constitution however the the, the uh, state supreme court the state supreme court ruled in 2019 actually protects those rights for Kansans. So Republicans put the question to voters in an initiative on Tuesday in Kansas with the ballot question, should the state constitution be amended to remove protections of abortion rights? And good news, the answer came back very loud and very clear from Kansas. Yes, Kansas Kansas voters do not want lawmakers to restrict or ban abortion rights in the state. The no vote on that question to keep reproductive freedoms and privacy rights protected reportedly defeated the yes votes by a whopping 18 points as we go to air, 59 to 41, with 95% of the votes uh, reported at this hour. Large suburban counties that previously had gone for Trump, they were strongly no on the abortion measure. Also, small, rural, far-right-leaning counties. Brian Amos, a um, Wichita State political scientist, noted, uh, quote, Lane County looks to have had the biggest swing from baseline partisanship so far among small counties in the state. He noted last night the county went just 13 percent in the two party 2020 vote for Joe Biden. Uh, so just 13 percent in this tiny county voted for Biden in 2020, but 40 percent voted no on Tuesday. 
it's a tiny, it's a rural county, very Republican-leaning, but the results were telling. Uh, Amos said Lane County had 44 total votes in the Democratic Senate primary on Tuesday versus 503 in the Republican primary, and yet no on the abortion ban measure pulled 40%. Mm. So this is huge. This is just enormous. The anti-abortion forces in the state apparently had planned this referendum to fall on what should have been what they expected to be a low turnout primary election day where most of the competitive races were Republican ones anyway. So an electorate that would be expected to strongly favor their side. But uh, nope. There was an historic primary turnout on Tuesday, reportedly as high as the 2008 presidential primary. Nathaniel Rakich of 538.com noted at one point during the night on Twitter, quote, turnout for the Kansas abortion vote was insane. 243,000 votes have been counted so far in Johnson County, Kansas. That's the largest in the state where Kansas City is, Johnson County, Kansas. Uh, he said that's almost as many as the 271,000 votes that Johnson County cast for governor in the 2018 general election. Kai Newkirk, a progressive activist, tweeted in response to all of this, quote, I think the party of we will force your 10-year-old daughter to risk her life to give birth to her rapist child might be in big trouble in November. If that's what happened in Kansas during a midterm primary, I hope the Democrats are paying very, very close attention. And I suspect that they probably finally are. Maybe. I don't know. They're Democrats. But hopefully they're paying uh, attention as to how critical this issue now is uh, with the overturning of Roe by the Supreme Court this past June. And I hope that they start promising out loud specifically to codify Roe v. Wade, the protections from Roe v. Wade, into federal law in January in exchange for voters letting them hold the uh, letting Democrats hold the majority in the House and giving them two more senators uh, so that they have the needed majority in the upper chamber to reform the filibuster in order to codify privacy rights and reproductive freedoms into federal law in all 50 states in January. Also, Democrats may want to consider putting abortion on the ballot somehow wherever they can across the country this November. There are a number of states actually where that will be the case, it looks like, uh, including Michigan, as I understand it, where a court on Tuesday allowed a hundred year old state abortion ban to begin to be enforced again. In response to the victory for lovers of constitutional freedoms on Tuesday in Kansas, President Joe Biden released the following statement on Tuesday night. He wrote, The Supreme Court's extreme decision to overturn Roe v. Wade put women's health and lives at risk. Tonight, the American people had something to say about it. Voters in Kansas turned out in record numbers to reject extreme efforts to amend the state constitution, to take away a woman's right to choose, and open the door for a statewide ban. This vote makes clear what we know. The majority of Americans agree that women should have access to abortion and should have the right to make their own health care decisions. 
Congress should listen to the will of the American people, he said, and restore the protections of Roe as federal law. The president said, while that is the only way to secure a woman's right to choose, my administration will continue to take meaningful action to protect women's access to reproductive health care. We will continue to act where we can to protect women's reproductive rights and access to care. And the American people, he said, must continue to use their voices to protect the right to women's health care, including abortion. That was President of the United States on Tuesday night. Well, right sentiment, Joe, but wrong words. It is not enough to say that you support abortion rights and that you will fight for them at the federal level and that you need voters to you know, continue to use their voices. Voters need a very specific instruction, a specific promise, a specific thing to vote for. If you do this, we will do that in return. Talking Points Memo's Josh Marshall has been making clear for some time now, in, and I totally support what he is calling for here. He's calling, he's calling it the Roe and Reform campaign. Uh, he notes the case must be made as clear as it can be to voters. If voters do this, then we, the candidates, the elected officials, will do that. Just as the Kansas matter was clear on the ballot on Tuesday. In that case, the message was direct and it was clear. Uh, and it was a losing one, in this case, from Republicans who said, if you change the Constitution, we will ban abortion. And voters responded to that in huge numbers. To say no. In fact, not just no, hell no. Yeah, they responded against it. But they responded because the stakes were made so very clear. Uh, as Josh writes, this was considered by political professionals to be a too close to call race with the advantage to the yes vote. Many of the political professionals have seriously mistaken the political environment, he says. When there is a backlash as strong as the one against Dobbs, that's the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe, and one party is as firmly tied to it as Republicans are here, clearly the opposing party needs to grab onto it with both hands. Democrats, he says, need to make the connection as explicit and tangible as possible. And the way to do that is with a firm Roe and Reform pledge to pledge to pass a Roe law in January of 2023 and suspend the filibuster rules to guarantee that bill gets a simple majority vote. If voters choose to give the Democrats this specific election outcome, the House and two more senators, Democrats will pass this law. But that only works, he says, if everything is spelled out, if there's a firm commitment with all the needed votes explicitly on vo on board. Kansas, he says, did not turn out to send a message about Dobbs or Roe. They turned out because with a single vote, they could ensure that abortion rights remained protected in their state for the foreseeable future. The closest the Democrats can get to duplicating that dynamic at the federal level is with a Roe and Reform pledge. He is right. But notes, there cannot be any ambiguity, no vagueness about the filibuster or hemming and hawing. 
So uh, TPM has, has tasked its readers to contact their senators, to call them on the phone, to get the, call their offices, to get their positions on a very specific row and reform commitment, a commitment to uh, if, if Dems hold the House this fall and get two more senators, that they will they will not only support codifying Roe, but promise to st- the step of reforming the filibuster as would as is almost certainly needed in order to do that. So they're keeping a list of uh, of this at talkingpointsmemo.com. And you can check out the positions of those uh, 48 Democrats. Unfortunately, uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have the already... The usual. usual sus- suspects. Yeah. Have already said that they will not, under any circumstances, uh, reform the undemocratic filibuster. So the other 48 currently sitting Democrats need to make this commitment. Right now... Uh, TPM reports 31 of the 48 senators have committed. 15 are sort of, kind of there, but haven't been willing to make a clear commitment. Thus, Josh notes, short-circuiting this whole effort. He says there are two possible holdouts, Angus King of Maine and Mark Warner of Virginia, but he says, he argues, they will get on board if their constituents apply pressure. He says if they're basically on board, uh, why won't they just say it? He says, I know specifically some of the senators and their staff say privately, of course, we'll be there if it comes to a vote. But I don't want to make it uncomfortable for colleagues who are more hesitant. In other words, he says everyone is basically on board, but waiting for everyone else to take the plunge. And thus, in their collective dilly dallying, they are ruining the chances of a clear election message. Voters, he says, you and your phone can change this right now. So I can only hope that this earthquake coming now in August rather than later in November will also serve to give Democrats the confidence that apparently they now need uh, to run on this issue in pretty much every single race up and down the ballot from the U.S. Senate to the U.S. House to governor uh, races to attorneys general, district attorneys, county sheriffs, state judges, state Supreme Court justices. They all play a role in this. All of them. All will play a role in determining the post row future and whether states in our union will become forced birth states or not. This is no longer hypothetical. This is very real right now. And that needs to be made very clear by candidates and already elected officials who need to make uh, that choice and, and their promise about what they will do about it. They need to make that crystal clear to voters in every state. Give them something specific to vote for. I've long argued uh, that that's what uh, candidates need to do. It's not enough to say that, oh, the other guy is terrible, the other girl or guy is terrible. You must give voters an affirmative thing, a positive thing that they will receive in exchange for their vote. Democrats, unfortunately, are not known for their courage. (laughs) But uh, this measure and this result coming from Kansas, of all places, well before the general election, now less than 100 days away. But it should hopefully 
give these Democrats and, and progressive candidates the confidence that they need to go ahead and push this issue to the top of every campaign in the country. It is a winner, and Kansas, Kansas of all places, has proven it. Had the no vote in this matter uh, come even close uh, uh, to winning, but, you know, still ended up losing. Well, in Kansas, folks would say, well, you know, that's Kansas. It was never expected to win, but look how well it did there in a conservative state like Kansas. That's good news everywhere else. But the fact is, it did win. It won by a lot, even in Kansas, even in a year where, as history would tell us, Democrats should lose big this November. So I will keep saying it between now and November. Never mind that history, that conventional wisdom. These are unconventional times with so much on the line from personal privacy rights to democracy itself. Hopefully the Democratic Party as a whole will figure that out with courage and with confidence and will finally step up and start acting, start running like it. I don't know if they will or not. You can help them by making noise. All of this matters. And as noted, uh, not just for reproductive freedoms, but for democracy itself. Let's take a quick break here and we will run through more of our selected, noteworthy, uh, curated races, if you will. Carefully curated. Thank you. From Tuesday and what we know about them so far, who won, who lost and what a uh, very instructive night at the polls may foretell for all of us this November, including some more good news out of Kansas. What's the matter with Kansas? Nothing for a happy change, at least today. Results from Kansas, Missouri, Michigan, Arizona, and more is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with our uh, curated, if you will, and I know you will, selection of results from Tuesday's uh, primary elections in six states. I should note, uh, as I always try to, that all of the numbers that we'll uh, be reporting on today from Tuesday's elections are preliminary, unofficial, and so far confirmed by absolutely no human beings. These are uh, all computer-reported tallies. They are either correct or they are not. And, of course, pretty much all of them are still incomplete as uh, late-arriving mail-in ballots and provisional ballots, etc., are still being processed. That said, more good news out of the great state of <laughs> Kansas. I'm liking Kansas for I today. Know, I know. Actually, it's a lovely state. I it do. Is. I, I, I have dr driven across. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's flat, it's boring. I think it's delightful. It's beautiful. Uh, full of, of greenery 
and, and corn. corn. Lots and lots of corn. As high as an elephant's eye, but <laughs> it's still uh, delightful. Anyway, sometimes known as the sunflower state, by the way. But you digress. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So, yes, more good news out of Kansas. Uh, Kansas is... Republican Secretary of State Scott Schwab, who repeatedly rejected former uh, President Donald Trump's false claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. He is seeking re-election. And the good news is he uh, appears to have defeated Republican primary challenger Mike Brown, a former county commissioner in suburban Kansas City who had called for the elimination of ballot drop boxes along with a coalition of election deniers who are Republican election deniers, I will note, who are all seeking to run for secretary of state around the country this year. So it looks as if uh, Brown has lost. Schwab reportedly defeated him pretty handily by more than 10 points, uh, reportedly, as we go to air. Schwab will run for re-election against Democrat Gianna uh, Repass, who ran uncontested for the Democrats on Tuesday. In the, uh, well, more good news here. It's incredible. More good news from Kansas in our selective, highly curated collection of noteworthy results. Anyway, I think this is good news, though I do welcome those listening who are on the ground in Kansas to write me via bradcast at bradblog.com or even tweet me uh, via the Brad blog to let me know if I am wrong here. But Kansas's former wildly corrupt, disgraced GOP voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach, remember him, the state's former secretary of state, whose whole shtick, his entire campaign for two terms as secretary of state was ferreting out was stopping voter fraud what he what he told voters was massive voter fraud taking place in kansas and this was by the way way back before ferreting out pretend voter fraud became pretty much the only theme of the entire republican party well chris kobach my good friend uh who also helped write the notorious uh struck down by the supreme court papers please law in uh, in Arizona, targeting anyone who even looked like they might not be white enough to be an American. Chris Kobach was on the ballot again on Tuesday in Kansas. That, despite having failed to find anything more than about half a dozen or so cases of voter fraud in his eight years as the Secretary of State in Kansas, most of uh, those cases that he found were Republicans who owned houses in two different states and thought that they could vote in both. And uh, despite Kobach having been sanctioned by a federal judge and ordered to, it was actually ordered to attend law school classes, even though he's supposedly an attorney and he was trying this case on behalf of the state, uh, a case which he lost. It was a ridiculous case trying to prevent thousands of voters from voting. Chris Kobach termed out as Secretary of State, and then he ran for governor back in 2018. And he was such an embarrassment to the state that he lost the governor's race at the time to a Democrat in Kansas. That would be its uh, current Democratic governor, uh, Laura Kelly. So Kobach then, two years later, he ran for the U.S. Senate. He did not even win the GOP nomination, much to the relief, I think, of state Republicans at the time who feared that he would lose that seat as well for the GOP. Well, on Tuesday, Kobach, the guy who was sanctioned 
for doing such a pathetic job in court that he was ordered by the judge to take law school classes. He ran for the GOP nomination for attorney general in Kansas. Yes, to be their top law enforcement officer. And guess what? Well, much to the chagrin, once again, of the state GOP establishment, it looks like Chris Kobach won. He won the nomination by about four points over two other Republicans also running for the nomination. And when I asked for feedback last night on Twitter from Kansas, is this good or bad news, do you think, it does? You as know, you see uh, it? on the one hand, I see it as being potentially good news because obviously, you know, your your summary of Chris Kobach's, you know, ridiculous career and attempts at uh, mo- mm-hmm. the myth of voter fraud to make yeah. that into something, that, you know, that has been enough to uh, turn off Kansas voters. But him being within striking distance uh, is really dangerous to me. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not really I, sure I, if no, it's a I understand. Thing or a bad thing. That, which is why I was asking for feedback back on Twitter and uh, from Kansans if they thought it was good news for for Democrats that Kobach had won the Republican nomination for AG. Uh, J. Patrick 78 uh, wrote back uh, to say his profile identifies him as, quote, no Jesus, no peace, Christian, husband, father, conservative. Hashtag love God, love people. Hashtag dump Trump. Uh, He was among those who wrote back. He said, without a doubt, a Kobach win tonight is a win for his Democratic opponent in November. It's not even a question. So, you know, I don't know Jesus, but I do hope Jay Patrick is correct uh, (laughs) in that assessment. Uh, As to Kobach's Democratic opponent, it will be Chris Mann in the um, AG's race. He ran unopposed for the Democrats on Tuesday. So largely good news in general out of Kansas on Tuesday, again, where Trump won by about 15 points in 2020. As to the governor's race there, well, sitting Democratic governor, thanks to Chris Kobach, Laura Kelly, she's up for reelection and uh, she easily dispatched one Democratic opponent on Tuesday night. She will run this year against Trump endorsed Derek Schmidt. Uh, in what may be a much harder year for Democrats to win a statewide vote, but we will see. Apparently, Kansas has many surprises for us this day. So uh, let's uh, move next door to neighboring Missouri, running in the GOP primary for the U.S. Senate, being uh, Senate seat being vacated by the state's retiring Republican senator, Roy Blunt. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt appears to have won in a very crowded field of some 21 Republican candidates. He defeated, among others, Missouri's disgraced former governor, Eric Greitens, who was forced to resign. Uh, He was seeking a political comeback after resigning in disgrace amid several scandals, including one that allegedly involved tying up his mistress in his basement ripping off her clothes and taking nude pictures of her for blackmail. Peach of a guy, don't you think? More recently, uh, he's been accused uh, by his now ex-wife of physically abusing both her and their children. Uh, In fact, I was actually hoping that Greitens would win this election because I think he would have been very easy for Democrats to defeat and, and, and be able to flip that Senate seat. 
I think. Republicans even apparently, in Missouri. Yeah, Republicans apparently agreed with you on that. Um, in that it would have been easier for to, Democrats yes. to win it. Yeah. So uh, they did not uh, give the nomination to Greitens. Uh, they gave it to Eric Schmidt, the other Eric, instead. He is largely equally as Trumpy as Greitens. Uh, he was one of the attorney generals who sued at the Supreme Court to try and toss Biden's 2020 victory. Uh, but he's just not as obviously insane, I guess, at least not yet. There's still about 97 days until the general election. So he's got time. Both of those Eric's Greitens and Schmidt were endorsed by Donald Trump on Monday before the election because he wasn't sure which one was going to win. And, you know, therefore, he en- ended up endorsing simply Eric for Missouri Senate because it's not about who would be best. It is about who he thinks it's going is going to win. It is about his own ego for him. It is about picking the person that he thinks is likely to win anyway, which is why he waited till the day before. And even then he couldn't make a choice. Very courageous. Um, also, also a courageous Trumpy insurrectionist day runner, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri Uh, Along with uh, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, they endorsed someone else entirely. They endorsed Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler in the Senate race. The uh, GOP establishment was therefore terrified that Hartzler and Schmidt would end up splitting the Republican vote, allowing Greitens a glide path to victory. But alas, Hartzler uh, came in a distant second, Greitens even farther third. So in any event... Hopefully that's the last that the world will have to hear about Eric Greitens, unless he is either being indicted or locked up or getting a job at White Castle flipping burgers or something. But hey, I guess we finally found out where Republicans in Missouri draw their lines. (laughs) Yeah, I guess they do. Some of them. He's still got a few (laughs) thousand votes, you know. I know. Uh, Republican uh, Eric Schmidt, therefore, will be running against uh, for the U.S. Senate. Uh, against Anheuser-Busch family scion Democratic nominee now Trudy Bush Valentine, our uh, progressive friend Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny. He's absolutely furious at Missouri Democrats for not electing the Bernie Sanders-endorsed Lucas Kuntz, who lost to the moderate but very wealthy Bush Valentine by about five points, reportedly. So with Greitens having lost, and this being Missouri... Even though they do love their bad Anheuser-Busch beer there, uh, and even though Eric Schmidt still has plenty of time to screw things up, it's still my old home state of Missouri, which seems to have gone absurdly red since I left years ago. I blame myself for that. It had been a swing state when I was there. Uh, So with all of that in mind, Bush Valentine for the Democrats is likely to have an uphill fight this November for that open Senate seat in the Show Me State. Unfortunately, but you never know. These are, as I said, unconventional times heading a number of hours due northeast from Missouri. Michigan's popular Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. She ran unopposed for the nomination in her reelection bid as to her opponent this November. Well, (laughs) after five of the 10 candidates who are running for the GOP nomination, including two of the previous front runners, after five of ten of them were disqualified from the ballot a couple of months ago for turning in tens of thousands of fraudulent uh, fraudulent petition signatures. Yes, election fraud cl- crimes among uh, among a bunch of folks who 
pretend that massive election fraud stole the election from Donald Trump in Michigan in 2020. After all of that, Trump endorsed right wing commentator Tudor Dixon easily defeated her remaining four opponents in the GOP primary, one of whom is facing charges for participating in the January 6th uh, insurrection in 2021. Uh, so uh, Trump had just endorsed her, uh, Tudor Dixon, on Friday once it looked clear that she was going to win. She had previously been supported by the wealthy DeVos family in Michigan, so she'll have lots of resources between now and November. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of money. She had uh, said she decided to run for office out of her anger over Governor Whitmer's policies, particularly health restrictions early in the pandemic. Dixon also made headlines last month when she said a hypothetical 14-year-old girl who was raped by her uncle presented a, quote, perfect example of someone who should be barred from pursuing an abortion. She has also prioritized rewriting the Michigan Constitution to allow parents to spend public funds to send their children to, uh, to private schools. As of now, Whitmer has a uh, polling lead, however, over uh, Dixon, though there is a lot of time and a lot of money for that to change up there between now and November. In um, Elsewhere in Michigan, in the uh, other, other races of note on Tuesday, including the uh, GOP primary in the 3rd Congressional District, where incumbent freshman Congressman Peter Meyer who had voted to impeach Donald Trump. He ran against Trump-backed election denier John Gibbs in what turned out to be a much closer race than was expected. Cook Politico, Re Political Report's Dave Wasserman wrote on Tuesday night as the results were coming in and flipping back and forth between Meyer and Gibbs. Uh, he said, No House races hinging on a GOP primary outcome quite like Michigan's 3rd District. If Meyer hangs on... The district probably moves from toss-up to lean Republican. If Gibbs beats him, it will probably move from toss-up to lean Democratic. Well, it appears that John Gibbs narrowly won on Tuesday by a bit under four points, with about 94% of the vote tallied. Uh, after finally calling the race on Tuesday night for Gibbs, Wasserman noted Myers is the uh, second pro-impeachment Republican to lose a primary. Four others had opted to retire. He says with no realistic primary path for Liz Cheney, there will be at most three out of ten pro-impeachment Republicans left in the House in 2023. Talk so, about a cleansing of a party. Yeah, so Trump's revenge tour is doing pretty well. Yeah, apparently. Nonetheless, uh, Gibbs, well, I mean, it's doing good to get the people out that didn't like him. How it does for the Republican Party this November remains to be seen. Gibbs uh, will be running as the uh, Republican candidate against Democrat Hillary Shulton who ran uncontested in a newly drawn third district. Had it existed in 2020 as currently drawn, Joe Biden would have won that particular district by nine points in 2020. In fact, Cook Political Report today did move it from toss-up to leans Democratic. Uh, in the 11th congressional district in Michigan, uh, one other House race of note, in a rare and sometimes heated incumbent-on-incumbent Democratic race primary following redistricting uh, this year. 
In the state's 11th district, the more moderate Congresswoman Haley Stevens defeated the more progressive Congressman Andy Levin in a district outside of Detroit. She will run against Republican nominee Mark Ambrose. However, it's a very blue district. Finally, the great but now sort of insane, at least among its Republican Party, uh, the great state of Arizona. In the Republican governor's primary, Karen Taylor Robson, who was endorsed by the non-insane GOP establishment, if there is such a thing, including uh, the, uh, the state's term-limited incumbent governor, Doug Ducey, uh, and, and otherwise what suffices for Team Normal in the Republican Party these days. She is now running just behind Trump-backed former newscaster and wingnut election denier Carrie Lake. Um, Carrie Lake currently leads Robson by less than two points, with 80 uh, percent reported last I checked. So this race has not yet been called by AP, but Lake was already telling the media on Tuesday that she had evidence of massive fraud in her race. At least she said that when she was losing it for much of the night to Robson. Mm -hmm. I suspect if she ends up winning, well, that evidence of fraud will never appear. As a matter of fact, I'll bet you if she loses it will also never appear either. Bingo. According to the uh, Arizona Mirror, uh, Lake and other state lawmakers have said they intend to bring back so-called election integrity bills that failed in the last session to try again in the next session, including things like banning drop boxes altogether in Arizona, making voting a one-day event, getting rid of early voting and mail-in voting. And yet, nonetheless, at a recent Republican election fraud conspiracy conference, Carrie Lake was there encouraging the crowd to mail in their ballots if they had not done so yet. If Lake wins, the governor's race in Arizona will become one of the most important races in the nation this November, as the governor would have the power in Arizona to, uh, in 2024, to certify or not the actual winner of the state's electoral votes. You remember Doug Ducey, a Republican, did do that for Joe Biden, much to the chagrin of Donald Trump. Uh, Lake has said we will drag election integrity back out into the spotlight and we will find every loophole they used to cheat in 2020. Uh, anyway, so we will see on that uh, governor's race right now. Lake has a small advantage. The winner of the GOP race will then run against the state's current secretary of state, Democrat Katie Hobbs. She easily won her own primary on Tuesday night. Like I said, could be one of the most important races in the country in November. But there is another race in Arizona that we already know to be among the most important in the nation this fall. So there is this um, famous Three Stooges poster. That apparently they never actually played these characters in the movie, uh, in a, in any movie, as it turns out. But it was a famous publicity poster for the Three Stooges showing the boys as working as lawyers for the law firm Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> right. Remember that? Yes. So that's who I always think of whenever I hear the name of the Trump-endorsed big lie aficionado and apparent winner of the Republican primary for Arizona Secretary of State, Mark Fincham. <laughs> I think Dewey, Fincham, and Howe. 
In addition to being a huge conspiracy theorist, Fincham is also identified as a member of the Oath Keepers Militia. You know, those guys who are facing seditious conspiracy charges for their role in the January 6th insurrection. That guy, Fincham, identified with that group. He appears to have defeated Bo Lane and two others to become the GOP nominee for Secretary of State in Arizona. Now, there's a lot terrible to say about this guy uh, that I don't have time for today, maybe in the days ahead. But Lane had committed the uh, crime that who, who Fincham defeated. He de- de- committed the crime of affirming the legitimacy of Biden's 2020 win in Arizona over Trump. So uh, I guess he's right out as a candidate in the uh, Arizona Republican primary for secretary of state at this point. Uh, Dewey Fincham and Howe will be vying in November for a um, the post uh, overseeing future elections in a state where Biden barely won in 2020 and where election conspiracy theorists have run amok ever since. Fincham will be running against the excellent Democratic former Maricopa County recorder and former broadcast guest. Adrian Fontes for the uh, top election post in the state this fall. Fontes actually lost his run for re-election in 2020 in Maricopa County. That's Phoenix, uh, the largest county in the state. Uh, He lost to Republican Stephen Richer that year, though Richer proved to stand up hard against the loons and cyber ninjas who were claiming without any evidence at all that the county had and the state had been stolen. So it'll be interesting to see, actually, if Republican... Uh, County recorder Richard now endorses his old Democratic opponent uh, for secretary of state this year. Uh, In any event, this is definitely now one of the most important contests in the country this November. Political newcomer Blake Masters appears to have won the GOP nomination for the U.S. Senate to take on the incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, who ran uncontested. Masters, of course, backed by Trump. And as importantly or more so, he's backed by PayPal billionaire Peter Thiel. Uh, So uh, this is a Senate uh, seat that Republicans are eager to flip from blue to red this year, held by the Democrat uh, Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, the former astronaut, uh, though uh, polling prior to the primary shows Kelly up fairly substantially over all of his potential GOP rivals, including masters. So we will see if that remains the case. In about 97 days. In any event, as the New York Times noted last night, if Ms. Lake wins, and it looks like she may, in addition to Mr. Fincham and Mr. Masters, and it looks like they both did, it would be a clean sweep of election-denying candidates backed by the former president at the top of the ticket in Arizona. So buckle up and get ready to vote, Arizona. Our nation may yet... uh, turn its lonely eyes to you on November 8. Very quickly, uh, two more points. Uh, uh, Sadly, Arizona State House Speaker and rock-ribbed, God-fearing Republican Rusty Bowers, who testified before the January 6th committee a few weeks ago about Trump's efforts to steal the 2020 election, has lost his primary for Senate uh, state Senate bigly. We knew he would. He knew he would. Uh, but he lost 64 to 36 as we go to air. 
But some better news on the way out to our break. Arizona's 90-year-old former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio, well, he saw his fourth consecutive election defeat on Tuesday night in a race for Fountain Hills mayor. He couldn't even win that one. Good. See you, Joe. Quick break, and we are back with a few more thoughts on a... uh, on a busy post-primary day right here on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Before we get to that news for which that bumper music uh, is, is intended. Is intended. Yes. Uh, just a couple of very quick breaking items here. The Senate has overwhelmingly voted to add Finland and Sweden to NATO, which would be the most significant expansion of the alliance since the 1990s. So... Well done, Mr. Putin. You're growing NATO that you were uh, so much trying to get rid of. Uh, and with all of that uh, news and, and well, let's say somewhat encouraging, somewhat very good news in um, uh, from those uh, primaries in six states. By the way, there are two others, two other Republican Congress members being challenged by Donald Trump on the ballot uh, from Tuesday. Those are still being counted in Washington state. So we'll save that for another day uh, because we've got some sad news breaking shortly before airtime today. Republican Indiana Congresswoman Jackie Walorski was killed in an automobile accident uh, in her district in Elkhart County, Indiana, on Wednesday at the age of 58. Uh, she represented the state's second congressional district since 2013. According to the county sheriff's office, there was a head-on collision after a car traveled left of center and collided with an SUV. The sole occupant of the car died at the scene, and all three occupants of the SUV, including Walorski and two of her staff members, aged 27 and 28, were killed as well. Uh, fellow Indiana Republican Congressman Jim Banks called Walorski, quote, a dear friend and one of the greatest public servants I've ever known. Uh, to be honest, I can't vouch for her because though she served for nearly 10 years, I don't actually know her at all. Yeah. So I will leave uh, leave it at that. That uh, very sad, very tragic news. Uh, leave that there for today. And in other... Um, Tragic, sad, at least, uh, literal news, a literal Hall of Fame legendary broadcaster, Vin Scully, 
whose dulcet tones provided the soundtrack of summer for countless millions of Americans while entertaining and informing Dodgers fans in both Brooklyn and Los Angeles for 67 years. Yes, he was the voice of the Dodgers back when they were in Brooklyn. Back in 1950. He died Tuesday night at the age of 94. He died at his home. No cause of death was given, but, you know, 94. Uh, It was kind of a big deal, of course, out here in Los Angeles, uh, but I suspect pretty much everyone recognizes Scully's voice. Um, His final sign-off from Dodgers baseball in October of 2016 went viral once again on Tuesday night after word of his death, and actually seems a great way for us to sign off today. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life seems a faithful friend to share. For every sigh a sweet song and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be. The great Vin Scully, uh, dead as of uh, at age 94, uh, but much, much beloved out here in L.A., I suspect around the country. And just one of the, you know, I, I said at the top here, Hall of Fame broadcaster, because I think he's literally yeah. in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but a Hall of Fame broadcaster, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greats on radio. And what everybody here in Los Angeles would also say, a Hall of Fame human being. Mm. Indeed. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That service is made possible by the many generous folks, well, many uh, lots of generous folks who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and continue broadcasting as long as we can as well. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me simply at the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 